0: Welcome to Skim This. Just when we thought our bank accounts might be able to catch a break, inflation told us to take a seat. We're kicking off the show with the latest inflation numbers and what economists are predicting is coming next. Plus, we phoned a doctor to learn how the latest Omicron variant is changing the rules when it comes to COVID and our immunity. Later in the show, we've got the latest relationship gossip. That is Elon Musk calling it quits with Twitter.
1: How did Twitter respond? Not well. It's a huge case, right? Because it's a very prominent company and then of course the world's richest person. And so the way that it sort of shakes out certainly will be looked on as some sort of precedent.
0: And speaking of social media, we're taking a look at the shady world of sponsored content on TikTok. We spoke to one reporter who went deep into the world of bad influencer behavior and found there's a lot of impact on consumers. We're here to make you smarter and the news less overwhelming. I'm Alex Carr. Let's skim this. Let's start with some headlines from the week's news and give you some context on why they matter.
2: First up. The new inflation report is out, and it's much worse than predicted. The rate rose to another 40-year high. Here's the context.
0: For people who thought inflation might be coming back down to earth, we've got some bad news. On Wednesday, the June inflation report dropped, and it was a lot worse than people thought it would be. Prices for goods rose 9.1% from this time last year, and prices were also up 1.3% from May. And it's gasoline prices that helped push inflation to that 9.1%. Prices for gas actually rose 11.2% from the month prior. And even though gas prices look like they might be coming down ever so slightly, other major contributors to inflation, like rent, are still going up, which isn't a great sign for next month's inflation report. And P.S., this won't be a shocker to a lot of you, but companies aren't paying people enough to keep up with inflation. In fact, inflation-adjusted hourly wages are decreasing at the fastest pace in 40 years. Now, the pressure is on the Federal Reserve to get it together and slow down price increases by raising interest rates. The Fed is expected to announce an interest rate hike later this month, and experts predict we'll see another 75-point increase. But with no sign that the Fed's rate hikes so far have slowed inflation, Americans are growing more worried that these upcoming more aggressive hikes will slow the economy too much and trigger a recession. All right, next headline. Even though a lot of Americans say COVID is over, the virus doesn't want us to forget about it. There's a new COVID variant dominating the US, BA5, and it's been fueling a new round of infections. Case numbers are going up, and experts say they're likely even higher than we think because of at-home testing. In New York City, 15% of tests are coming back positive, and California's also seeing its highest test positivity rate since January. Hospitalizations have also doubled since May, And although deaths are not on the rise, this variant is shaping up a little differently than the others, because this time we may not have the immunity we thought we did. In the past, after getting COVID, the reward for that killer sore throat and runny nose was a few months of natural COVID immunity. But according to Dr. Kavita Patel, a primary care physician and former policy director in the Obama White
2: House, that is no longer the case. I do think it's fair to not assume that because you had Omicron in the last six months that you are immune from getting BA5 or any infection. We do think that people who have been infected recently probably have at least four to six weeks of protection, but it would not shock me whatsoever for people to be 30 days after recovering to find that they're positive again probably good for several weeks, but that's all you can probably count on.
0: So that old CDC guidance that you're protected for 90 days post-infection is apparently no longer true and will likely interrupt some hot girl summers. But here's the good news. Dr. Patel told us that even though this new variant is spreading like wildfire, it doesn't look like it's more severe than past variants. Still, this new COVID surge has made the White House rethink its booster strategy. While Americans over the age of 50 and those with existing health conditions are already eligible for their second booster, Team Biden wants every adult to be able to get one. That's gotta clear regulators first, which could happen in the next few weeks. And as talk of second boosters picks up, Dr. Patel told us some of her patients are wondering if they should get one especially since an updated vaccine, specifically targeted towards Omicron, is expected to drop in
2: the fall. Do not wait if you qualify and can get a second booster today for an updated booster that's tailored a bit more for these newer variants, which we hope will be ready by October, but it could be November, could be December, and there might not be enough initially for everybody, just like in that initial vaccine rollout, if you remember, from December of 2020.
0: Okay, next headline. New number, who this? Starting on Saturday, there's a new three-digit phone number Americans can call in a crisis, 988. 988 is basically like 911, but for mental health emergencies. When you dial, you can connect to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 24 hours a day. Trained counselors will guide those who need help to mental health resources and substance abuse treatment via phone call or text message. This switch from the 10-digit number to 988 has been in the works since 2020, when former President Donald Trump signed the National Suicide Hotline Designation Act. And while many have been celebrating increased access to mental health services, some are also biting their nails in anticipation of Saturday's launch. That's because the National Suicide Prevention Hotline was already understaffed, leaving many fearful that the crisis centers will be strained once 988 goes live. One current estimate says that one in six calls to the hotline already go unanswered. So while cutting the 10-digit number down to three is a step in the right direction, experts say more still needs to be done to address the growing mental health crisis in this country. And for our final headline, let's go abroad.
3: The president, Gotabaya Rajpaksa, has now fled the country as Sri Lanka suffers from the worst economic crisis in decades.
0: Here's the context. On Wednesday, after a weekend of protests, the country's president was supposed to resign. Instead, he fled the country. And today, via email, he officially resigned as president. So let's back up and take a look at how this unrest in Sri Lanka started. For years, Sri Lanka has faced economic mismanagement, tourism has been struggling, and the country has been bogged down in a trade deficit. Meanwhile, the government banned the use of chemical fertilizers, and farmers saw their yields drop dramatically. Fast forward to 2022, and we find Sri Lanka in the middle of a debt crisis. Without any money in the bank, the country can't pay for the fuel needed to transport goods or power cities. As a result, Sri Lankans are experiencing rolling blackouts, school closures, and food insecurity. So people began protesting and demanding the president step down. They stormed his home, broke into the prime minister's office, and protested in the streets. But now, after cries for his resignation reached a fever pitch, Rajapaksa stepped down. As for what's next, parliament is supposed to elect a replacement next week, but the candidate is still TBD. And aside from finding a new president, the country will have to negotiate a bailout with the International Monetary Fund, while both China and India have offered money to cover Sri Lanka's debt in the meantime. President Biden arrived in the Middle East this week, for the first time during his presidency. And it's gearing up to be a trip that'll be far from relaxing. Biden touched down in Israel on Wednesday, and he'll be in Saudi Arabia on Friday. But with diplomatic tensions running high in both countries, Biden's out-of-office request was controversial before he even boarded Air Force One. We'll explain what's on his agenda, and what's at stake politically, all in 60 seconds. The first stop on Team Biden's itinerary is Israel and the occupied West Bank. So what's Biden's goal here? According to officials, it's to increase Israel's cooperation with other Arab nations, like Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, to counter threats posed by nearby Iran, who's been testing its nuclear capabilities. And on Thursday, it seems like the Israeli-Saudi relationship took a step forward. Reportedly, the Israeli government has approved a deal that would transfer two strategic islands in the Red Sea to the Saudis. That's a major milestone in normalizing relations in the region, and a W for Team Biden. Also on the agenda, a visit to the diplomatically sensitive area of East Jerusalem where Biden plans to announce $100 million in US assistance to the Palestinian hospitals network in the area. But there's a lot Team Biden is leaving unsaid on this leg of the trip. Mainly, the president isn't really gonna talk about the Israeli occupation of Palestine and peace talks between the two, or the recent controversial death of a Palestinian American journalist. We should also point out, all eyes are really on the next leg of Biden's journey, Saudi Arabia. Here's why that trip is controversial. Saudi Arabia has come under fire for its human rights abuses. And on the campaign trail, Biden had talked tough about the Gulf nation. Things started to break down between the U.S. and the Saudis after U.S. intelligence concluded that the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman authorized the murder of American journalist Jamal Khashoggi in 2018. Biden even promised to treat Saudi Arabia like a pariah after that. But like your friend awkwardly trying to get back with their ex, now Biden's saying you up and heading to the country on Friday. So what's with the flip-flop? Well, for one thing, oil prices have been sky-high recently. So US officials are hoping the Saudis will commit to increase oil production, hopefully lowering prices at the pump. Biden also plans to address the war in Yemen, and will advocate for that Israeli-Saudi friendship to grow in order to counter Iran. But while this all might sound cordial, Biden's gotten slammed from politicians on the left and the right for his decision to meet with Saudi's Crown Prince. And it's still TBD whether MBS will even listen to what Biden has to say, considering he dodged Biden's phone calls earlier this year. So whether this reset with Saudi Arabia actually works or is just kind of diplomatically awkward for the U.S., remains to be seen. How'd we do? Want us to skim a question from the news? Send us your suggestions to audio@theskim.com. In case you missed it, after months of back-and-forth conversations, shady tweets, and one hostile bid, Elon Musk is control alt deleting his mission to buy Twitter. But this week he learned breaking up is hard to do. On Tuesday, the social media giant officially sued him for breaching their merger agreement, and Musk might have to pay up big time. To get up to speed on Musk's whirlwind romance with Twitter, we called up Rachel Lerman, a technology reporter for The Washington Post. Rachel, I want to start with what happened this week. So Twitter, one of the largest social media companies in the world, is now suing the world's richest man, Elon Musk. Can you just remind me how we got here?
1: It has been quite the saga. So basically, Elon Musk took an ownership stake in Twitter earlier this year in March and April. And then it looked for a minute like he was going to join the board, but he backed out and instead launched a hostile takeover bid for Twitter. Eventually, he entered into a deal to buy the company for about $44 billion. But since then, things have been really rocky.
0: And what was rocky? What was Elon just no longer down for?
1: He has been saying that the company has misled him about the number of bots or like fake accounts on the site. He says that he thinks there's way more than they've been telling him and that that is misleading and therefore he can get out of the deal. Critics think that he might be using that as an excuse to back out of a deal that he no longer wants to do. Twitter through all of this has been saying, as we've said before, you know, in our quarterly reports, we estimate the bots and other like automated accounts make up less than 5% of user accounts on the site. And that's the information that we have.
0: I think a lot of people are probably wondering, was Elon Musk even serious in the first place? Or was this just kind of like the whim of one guy and a waste of people's time?
1: It's a really good question. I think it's kind of the $44 billion question here. Did he ever really want to buy Twitter? Did he want to buy Twitter and then something changed and he wanted to back out? And was that thing actually the bots or was it something else? In its lawsuit that Twitter filed yesterday, It claims Elon Musk entered into this deal and then the market tanked and things were looking bad economically sort of all over. And then he wanted out and now he's using this as an excuse. You know, if that argument will hold up, it kind of remains to be seen. Was he ever serious about this or was it sort of a whim?
0: And as you mentioned, this will likely go to court and the dynamics here are super strange. A company that didn't want to be bought is now suing the man who launched a hostile takeover, trying to force him to buy them. Who do you think has a stronger
1: case here? A lot of legal experts seem to agree that uh, Elon Musk's argument does not seem strong enough to get out of the deal because the way the terms of the deal were written, right, is that you can only get out under certain like uh, material arguments, basically. And a lot of legal experts say oh, we don't really think this bot argument is going to be enough to get him out. If that's true, you know, what is the remedy? Because the way the agreement is written, kind of the logical outcomes are either that a court could try to force him to go through with the deal, which is not unheard of, but it is kind of momentous if a court would say, no, you actually have to buy something for $44 billion, or they can let him walk away with this sort of a $1 billion breakup fee. The issue there is that it's possible Twitter will try to seek more because they could argue that more than a billion dollars worth of damage and reputation and stock kind of combined, et cetera, has been done to the company.
0: You know, Part of what I've been thinking about as it relates to this case is it kind of feels like the rules of business are being rewritten in a way where you can agree to pay for something and then you can also decide, you know what, I'm done. And I'm curious how you've been thinking about that dynamic.
1: It's a huge case, right? Because it's a very prominent company and then, of course, the world's richest person. And so the way that it sort of shakes out It certainly will be looked on as some sort of precedent. The one thing I will say, and that legal experts keep reminding us of, is that Elon Musk is very much not predictable. You know, I had somebody tell me yesterday, well, we would expect like normal litigants to probably come to a settlement here. Of course, we never know really what Elon Musk is going to do.
0: In the meantime, who's been the most affected by this back and forth?
1: Twitter stock has taken a hit. So of course that affects shareholders. And then also, you know, we got to think about the uncertainty for Twitter users and for Twitter employees. Twitter's workforce has been in turmoil. There's been so much uncertainty. It's just created this up and down, will they, won't they kind of situation. And that can cause a lot of uncertainty and sort of angst for the workforce, as well as you know users who are wondering what's gonna to happen to the site.
0: And Rachel, last question for you. When does this monumentous
1: trial start? really good question. Uh, We're not sure yet if it will go to trial. And Twitter has requested that the court will expedite it, which this court has the ability to do. So assuming they do that, it could actually be just a matter of months. It could be later this year that we find out. Well, Rachel, thank you so much. Thank you.
0: TikTok has become a place to see dance moves, food wrecks, news, and more. So it was kind of inevitable that the platform where people spent all their time also became a place where people spent their money.
4: Amazon has everything for me to be able to make my room exactly how I want it to be. I'm going to be using this first. This is the secret clinical strength deodorant. It's new. Someone told me that I should get it because, like...
2: Cheetos came out with a new chip. Judging by the box, it appears to be spicy. Do I like spicy foods? Yes. Today, I'm going to be showing my husband how pads work. Using the Always Radiant with Flexbone, my favorite.
0: And while scrolling through SponCon can be annoying enough, according to Sarah Morrison, senior reporter at Vox Media, there's also a shady side to the world of TikTok advertising.
3: So I don't think anybody who uses TikTok or really any of these platforms is particularly surprised to find out that things that they see are ads, aren't marked as ads, I don't know how many of them are intentionally trying to deceive their, their audience. I think a lot of them just do hashtag the brand and maybe think that's enough."
0: But spoiler, it's not. Reminder: On social platforms, influencers and content creators are supposed to use branded content tools to clearly mark that the thing you're seeing is an ad, and that the person posting about it is getting paid, or is receiving other compensation like free stuff to do so. And that's not just an internet law, it's actually federal law, written by the Federal Trade Commission under its Guides Concerning the Use of Endorsements and Testimonials in Advertising. But over in influencer land, rules are apparently meant to be broken. Take this post from TikTok star Charlie Demelio.
2: This one's pretty simple. They're really good and I really like them and they have a lot of different flavors and a lot of health benefits.
0: She's clearly promoting Muse Water, But this post doesn't follow the FTC's guidelines. And it's not just TikTokers with millions of followers who are breaking the rules. Morrison told us she first started investigating the sketchy side of TikTok advertising after hearing about undisclosed
3: ads for feet. NBC News did this article where there were like, undisclosed ads for Feet Finder, which is, I guess, a foot fetish website.
4: Oh, my first paycheck from Feet Finder just came in today, and we're going to use 100K of it to pay off my roommate's student loans.
3: People were signing up. It's $5 a month to sell photos of your feet, and people were seeing like accounts they're fans of saying, you can make tens of thousands of dollars doing this. That was the thing that got me kind of looking into it. I was actually looking at these sort of marketing agencies to ask them, like, what's going on with this? So then at that point, I started looking more into it and finding that, like, even the most followed people on the platform, weren't disclosing them the the way they're supposed to.
0: The marketing agencies Morrison is talking about are influencer marketing agencies. They're the link between businesses and influencers, and they help connect the dots and create all that SponCon you see online. But as she continued investigating, Morrison found that some of these influencer marketing agencies didn't even know WTF the rules were behind disclosing sponsored content. And they also
3: just didn't care. One that I'd reached out to, I started looking at like the case studies on their site and found that like the case studies they showed, a lot of them weren't marked as ads either. And I thought they're showing these off. They should know the rules. It just seemed like weird to me that even someone who should know and is like openly bragging about the the work that they do. And then the influencers themselves are like millions and millions of followers that none of them either knew or cared to disclose these properly. So why aren't these companies following the only
0: guidelines they're required by law to follow? First, it comes down to money. Influencers can make hundreds of dollars per sponsored post. And if you're a celeb or a big-time creator, you might even make millions, looking at you, Kylie Jenner. In fact, according to one estimate, U.S. brands will spend more than $4 billion on influencer ads this year alone. But posts that are clearly marked as ads might give consumers the ick and reduce engagement for whatever influencer is posting. And that engagement is crucial for brands to get eyeballs. So if the ad feels more sneaky and less like sponcon, people might engage with the post more. And the second reason people are skirting the rules is because there isn't a lot of communication about
3: the advertising guidelines on social. Especially with the influencers. These are like random people who got on a platform, got very popular. They're not lawyers. They don't have like these sort of engines around them that tell them what they are and aren't supposed to do. They're not getting in trouble for anything. The brands themselves or the marketing agencies they work with aren't telling them that they're supposed to do that. There isn't like really a thing telling them or or motivating them to do this. So even if influencers skirting the rules isn't anything new, what are the
0: actual consequences here? Morrison told us, for decades, consumer protections for TV and internet ads have existed for a reason, so people don't get ripped off. And it's a slippery slope when social media stars choose not to play by the same rules as, say, an ad for medicine on TV.
3: You want people to know that you've been paid to tell them that a product is good so that maybe it's not necessarily organic that you like the product and the people watching it will sort of know to take that with a grain of salt and make a more informed decision of what they're purchasing. That's why we have them. The internet and then social media come along and it's a lot harder to know where all these things are happening. P.S.
0: Undisclosed ads aren't just a TikTok problem. Instagram influencers are notorious for hiding their hashtag ad deep in the caption of their posts. But TikTok is a particularly dangerous platform for shady sponsored content to live on because the app is more addicting and the audience skews younger and more likely to spend their money on what they see on social.
3: You worry that maybe they're more vulnerable to this kind of thing. TikTok is seen as being much more engaging. People statistically spend more time on it than they do on these other ones. So they're more like exposed to this kind of stuff.
0: Okay, so now that we know that there are psychological impacts for users, who's in charge of making sure influencers play by the rules? Even though TikTok itself has largely been shielded from responsibility so far, influencers and brands and marketing agencies can be held responsible legally. But despite being a multi-billion dollar industry, very few are. On the state level, state attorneys general can go after people who aren't following the rules, and influencers and brands can also be subject to private lawsuits as well. But the top dog here is the Federal Trade Commission, which is the agency that sets standards around these ads and can charge up to $40,000 per violation. But the FTC has a lot more on its plate than just swiping. So Morrison told us they tend to pick their battles when it comes to policing influencer behavior. One unlucky brand selected was a detox tea company called Teamy. The FTC sued the company in 2020. And two years later, Teamy had to return almost $1
3: million to more than 20,000 consumers. The company was making these health promises that weren't backed up by facts. That company ended up paying, like, a million dollars, maybe. But then the influencers that they had paid to promote their product, and the the ads weren't disclosed, 10 of them got, like, a letter saying, please put an ad on it. So there's a couple different parties here that can get in trouble for this if we were ever going to get anybody in trouble. That's a tough look for Teamy. But considering
0: the FTC just has a lot more pressing things to focus on, and there's no incentive for influencers and brands to stop, TikTok might want to take on a larger role in regulating ads on their platform. And until they do, it's the users who are getting the short end of the stick.
3: The real harm might come to the platform itself. If something's just full of ads and they're kind of shady and you know they're ads, but they're not disclosed as ads, you're just not going to want to use it anymore. And it also just makes you, the user, just trust everything less. We have these rules, they should be followed. If you have a company that is paying influencers to promote a product and it's not even being disclosed and they're making maybe health claims that aren't backed up, you can see where in some cases it's a lot more damaging than others. And some of them, it really just is a, I bought a thing I didn't like, I wasted money, oh well. But you know, especially when you have like a younger audience, you don't want them being swayed in ways that they maybe normally wouldn't be.
0: And if this story reminded you of your own For You page, here's what you can do. You can report unlabeled or shady spawncon to TikTok by using the report post function on the platform. Or you can reach out directly to the FTC through its fraud reporting terminal. We'll leave a link in our show notes. Before we go, we wanted to go back in time, to the 2000s, when mall culture was alive and well. And certain stores from Abercrombie & Fitch to Hot Topic were the center of our universe. But for a lot of women, no store was more intimidating, confusing, or appealing than-
1: Victoria's Secret. They could get the best talent in the world.
3: This company is crushing it. Everybody knows what the Victoria's Secret brand means.
0: That guy's right. For most of us, when we think of Victoria's Secret, we think of something.
4: Love it or hate it, that pink bag was a symbol. Since the 80s, this has been a huge brand and it's completely influenced how we define beauty, how we look at ourselves. This was a brand that had a huge power and influence. That's Jenny Ewig, the executive producer of the new Hulu series, Victoria's
0: Secret Angels and Demons. We spoke to her and the series director, Matt Turnhour, to dig into how Victoria's Secret became essential shopping in every mall in America.
5: They used sex to sell things in a way that was incredibly forward. Now. At the time, the culture was in a very different place. It was this sort of, I think, uh, bizarre amalgamation of kind of frat boy culture with Baywatch culture. You know, it's all these tropes that the society really loved and got eyeballs and attention. And this was a way to transmogrify that attention economy before social media into dollars.
0: And they did that through a mix of provocative TV ads Catalogs, and of course, that infamous fashion show.
1: The-,
4: the
0: high profile models, the in your face marketing, the reasonable price points all of that made Victoria's Secret spread its wings and become one of the top brands in the world. But beneath that surface of so called female empowerment through sexuality was something a lot darker. As years went on, reporters started to peel back layers of what was happening at the brand. And they found a disempowering workplace culture.
4: What I found really interesting was that in talking to women that had both worked there and modeled for them, there was a lot of people who genuinely felt back in the day, in the beginning, it was a different culture back then, but it was empowering. I think a lot of people felt, oh, wow, here's a company that's allowing women to own their sexuality. But then, as they say, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and it, it just got a little bit too far off the rails. And I think ultimately what happened is you know you really did have this men's point of view driving the narrative and the marketing.
0: The men Ewing is talking about here are the brand's former owner Les Wexner and one of his top deputies Ed Razik. Investigations have revealed that Wexner and Razik helped create a company that had a culture of widespread bullying inappropriate conduct, sexual assault, and harassment, with complaints coming from former employees and models. Razik was also the subject of a number of those harassment complaints and had made transphobic and fatphobic comments privately and to the press. So as all this information started to get released a few years ago, a company built on angels started to fall from grace not only because the internal organization was built on a toxic foundation, but because what the brand represented externally wasn't resonating anymore. The way people thought about beauty and what was sexy had been changing for a long time, which didn't include angel wings and underwear. In fact, some of the brand's most notable models, including Bella Hadid and Carly Kloss, even started to publicly back away from the company.
5: It's almost like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, where they created the angels, and then the angels turned around and helped to destroy their creator.
0: In 2019, Victoria's Secret officially canceled its fashion show. And now, when you look at their marketing, you might be wondering, where's all the hot pink? The companies also hired brand ambassadors, including Megan Rapino and Priyanka Chopra, to help reinvent their image as one that values inclusivity and body diversity. But just like we learned in middle school, reinventing yourself is harder than it seems, especially when there's a toxic legacy
4: involved. I think they've gone through one of the biggest brand transformations in in recent history. Whether or not they can really get rid of the toxicity and what people now associate the brand with, I mean, I think that remains to be seen. I don't know if everyone's going to buy into that. I don't know if everyone's going to feel that it's authentic because they feel so burned from the past.
0: According to Turnauer and EWIG, even though Victoria's Secret has tried to shed itself of its past, the scars of that company and how it impacted our beauty standards still live on in our culture today.
5: What I discovered doing this that was most interesting to me of almost everything was that this was the 1.0 of Instagram, really. I think the influencers who invade our lives, whether we want them to or not, this was that in an analog way. And I think that the great digital marketers of our time learn from the analog marketers and the mall was your phone.
4: This series is a bit of a cautionary tale when you think about the sheer power of marketing and advertising and how that can influence society. To Matt's point, like we live in a world of consumerism, and I think Victoria's Secret and the story of it is representative of that. But now that we're you know online and companies, have kind of shifted from marketing at you to with you, as they say. I think that's kind of scary, to be honest, because it's more sophisticated now in the sense that you may not even realize you're being marketed to. And I think the story of Victoria's Secret and, and looking at this series and how it influenced people. I think we have to be very cognizant of how we move forward when it comes to marketing and how we interact online and with different brands.
0: To dive deeper into the Victoria's Secret story, check out Victoria's Secret Angels and Demons on Hulu, starting today. Thanks for listening to Skim This. This podcast was skimmed by me, Alex Carr, along with our producer, Will Livingston, and our associate producer, Blake Lou Merwin. This episode was engineered by Ellie McAfee-Hahn and Andrew Calloway. And the Skim's head of audio is Graylin Brashear. Skim This will be back in your feet again next Thursday. Until then, check out the other podcasts from the Skim. Nine to Five-ish is where we talk all things career with our founders, Carly and Danielle, And Pop Cultured is our weekly deep dive into the culture stories you can't stop thinking about. Follow 9to5ish and Pop Cultured wherever you're already listening to us.